The Red Review is brought to you by Growth Ignition, the transformation consulting, training and enabling tech firm in the work winning space and their product set, the Bid Toolkit, the online bid processing guide with APMP accredited training and tools to download. Hello there, welcome to the Red Review with me, Jeremy Brim. Uh, I hope you're all well and safe in these weird and wonderful times. Um, so we've got an episode today, a uh, one-to-one, uh, with a great guy called Chris Gayton, uh, who's one of the directors at EIB, a uh, fairly famous and prolific bidding consultancy uh, in big stuff, infrastructure, uh, largely in that space. So uh, let's see what Chris's got to say for himself. Let's get into it. So hi, Chris. Welcome to the Red Review. Hi, Jeremy. Um Good evening. Um, good to good to see you. But um, a shame that yeah we're not in in person across a desk doing this in the virtual world that we find ourselves in. Yeah, quite. But we'll we'll get there one day, or or maybe in the corner of a pub over a pint or something. Um, so thanks thanks for uh, coming on board, Chris. So uh, if we could start with a bit about you, I guess introduce yourself and a, a little bit of your career summary, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, Chris Gayton, um, Managing Director of EIB Professional Services, uh, as with um, a, a number of other contributors in in recent podcasts, we're a specialist in the, the work winning space. Uh, the part of our business that, um, that I'm re- responsible for and look after uh, focuses at the strategic work winning. Uh, and as an explanation, um, what I mean by that is our uh, there's quite a lot of organisations like EIB and others out in the, the marketplace that offer work winning um, services, writing support uh, and, and the like. And <coughs> uh, we kind of provide a, a, what I would call a, a slightly more joined up approach, not to, to man mark um, the, the way that our client structure around bid director, bid manager, bid um, writing team, graphics and so on. But we, we, we like to, to, to think that we're in that kind of soup to nut space where we're able to work alongside our clients' teams in, in that area. So very much focusing on some of the, the, the larger and uh, more strategic opportunities. We, we, we do have parts of our, uh, another part of our business in terms of growth services that focuses on the SME tier two, tier three um, supply chain, which is a bit more of your, um, your kind of production line of writers. Um, so that's us really. Very good, and so, and you've been going a while. Then, is it twenty years? Did you say when we caught up offline? Yeah, well, in our twenty ninth year now. Oh, um, that's it. So, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's um, it, it seems a lifetime ago um, when we kind of started. I, I joined two two years in, um, to the, the the business starting. It was founded by two of my colleagues, Scott Brown and uh, and Richard Roddy, um, back as distant as nineteen ninety two. Um, they were both with Price Waterhouse at the time and um, kind of um, PwC as it is now, but kind of frustrated that they were doing less doing um, and more strategic kind of selling and floating around the high end of jobs. And we established ourselves to be that little bit more hands on. I was client side at the time, having kind of grown up in uh, government departments um, and um, yeah, I, I joined them, and the like. That you know, the 29 years that followed, it seems a blur. The last 18 months, particularly with the uh, the virtual world we're now in. 
Yeah, very good. And when, when we'd spoken offline as well, the bit I liked about your business is you, you've got the bidding bit covered, but you also still do some procurement client side as well to, to keep yourself sharp. Yeah, I think that it just it goes back a, a bit, Jeremy, to the to the history of the the business. Coming from a government department as I did, uh, and my two colleagues at the time, I, I was on the client side, um, working with them uh, as consultants. <coughs> and I suppose for the first half of our tenure, um, through to the, yeah the, the mid to late nineties, we were pretty much 80-90% client side, uh, working with various departments, local authorities next steps agencies in the in the kind of government space, helping them develop different, better, uh, I would say better, wouldn't I? <laughs> uh, but different, better, more effective means of specifying their services in a way that enabled them to properly assess the capability of their supply chain. Many and varied, you know, from training providers like CITB in the construction space um, to you know, other providers um, in the, the wider kind of enterprise um, space. You remember the enterprise allowance scheme all those years ago uh, where we, uh, we helped develop um, tools um, in that space to, uh, to, to assess suppliers' capability to support government at the time. So for that first half of the tenure we were you know, pretty much as I say 80-90% client side and through a project um, around the turn of the century, that sounds really glam now doesn't it? Um, <laughs> You, you kind of never thought you'd be there through the 80s and, and 90s and now we're talking about the turn of the century which for us kind of means um, yeah, the 18, 1899 to 1900 in, uh, mentally. But um, yeah, around the, the, the turn of the century we were doing a little bit more in the consultant and contractor um, space. One of the jobs that we had for a local authority was basically um, developing a 100% assessment based on quality. So it was a self-assessment based document. Um, describe you know, your organisation, your approach, provide real solid case studies, evidence, examples of, of what you've done, uh, and then open yourself up to scrutiny through these reality checks and site visits. A bit like Highways England did with the early capability assessment toolkit and you know, supported latterly by SMART where um start sorry um where yeah we're basically going in uh, and experiencing it for real yeah reality checking and, and validation is now kind of um yeah more established as a means of checking and balancing the type of stuff that we write and prepare uh, in the the work winning space but through that process we came across uh, both contractors and consultants that were six shortlisted six it doesn't sound a great shortlist six does it but six shortlisted um in terms of contracting in the maintenance community um four um in the consultant fraternity and it was almost like overnight so i'm clicking my fingers for the benefit of the tape um but it was it was kind of almost um overnight that we became that much more attractive to the consultant and contracting um fraternity and since then uh, and, and over the period of time that followed, we probably flipped Jeremy the other way, you know, 80% contractor consultant and 20% um, client side. But we still keep our hand in working uh, directly with um, colleagues in Highways England, Network Rail and, uh, and others um, uh, you know, on, on occasions having helped mobilise and land some of the opportunities that we've that we've um, helped win and secure. It, it, it may. It, you're only as good, if you like, in terms of your client side knowledge, if you keep that, if you keep that fresh. And 
fortunately, mm. with the relationships we have, we have the ability to to, to do that. Oh, I think that's that. I don't know whether that's unique, but it's certainly rare. I think it's it's in, it's an impressive uh, dynamic to be able to keep going and keep live because you're going to bring all sorts of insight that uh, many of your competitors wouldn't be able to. So yeah, well well done to you. And wh which markets and sectors do you guys generally face into or, or cover? The, the, the easiest way is kind of infrastructure, and then what does that mean? <laughs> um, but we 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 cover all all areas within the yeah, within the wider kind of infrastructure sphere. Um, yes, we we work heavily in the the, the highway space, both in strategic roads. Uh, and major projects we're bidding into Highways England. Similarly, with Network Rail, through the last uh, three control periods, we've uh, we, we've been and supported and and secured a, a number of places, both on national uh, frameworks and uh, and major projects. Um, but yeah, you know, we work in the built environment too, uh, supporting a client at the moment up in um, Kirkstall Forge project in Leeds, um, through to uh, healthcare. Um, one of the it kind of, I suppose, sits in our space. There's one of the points that we're going to come on to discuss is around kind of frustrations and the like, and bidding heaven and bidding hell. And there's an element of kind of bidding hell for me, which is where common sense kind of goes out the window. And what we found in moving into the healthcare arena. Um, You've got uh, uh, many professionals in that space that are clinicians and know it. Uh, yeah, for, absolutely get what it is they're looking for. Um, but the ability to actually land that, I was going to say on paper, um, but in a document uh, and submit and upload that electronically uh, and set out comfortably how they plan, manage and deliver their services is it, really quite challenging. So taking you know, good APMP bidding practice uh, and, and the kind of yeah the, the Shipley mentality. Not that I'm a slave to to, to Shipley, um, but taking that common sense approach into that type of environment, um, it, we, we achieve very quickly at 100% success rate, uh, and have continued to do so uh, where various different parts of the NHS were having to start to bid into competitively um, commissioning entities. Um, so we, we cover a, quite a wide um, range yeah, in the, the built environment, infrastructure space. Um, we, we, we work um, a, a lot in rail, but don't get involved in franchise bidding. Um, we, we kind of focus on those areas that we know and we have that client side knowledge and intel that yeah, enables us to, uh, to, to, to add that little bit back. And the earlier involved in the process, as, as you advocate, uh, and I, yeah, I know, uh, many of your listeners um, that are advocates too would, would say the same. The earlier you are able to get engaged uh, and the better able you you can support capture, you know, the, the, the better bids evolve from that, you know? Yeah. So how have things changed, I guess, uh, during that, that lifespan of the business? So obviously, you, you've evolved the business from being client side to uh, bidder side percentage wise, but how have things changed from a procurement perspective in in your core infrastructure market, I guess, and uh, and uh, you know, what, what what have you seen sort of the what have been the bumps in the road? Without quite going back to um, the turn of the previous century, um, and for fear of sounding like that, yeah, I think fifteen years or so ago, 
we were evolving out of and still evolving out of the the, the, the CCT compulsory competitive tending tendering kind of space. <coughs> and um, as the balance and by uh, sorry the balance between um, quality, technical, um, and commercial um, was experimented. It's probably a little unkind, but it felt a little bit like we were experimenting. Um, and in those earlier days, yeah, when you called for case studies and experience, um, at, at times there was like you provide a list of stuff you'd done, and it was very task and activity orientated. Um, and over the period of time that's that, that's followed, we've seen a refinement. We've seen the client side get a lot smarter. And I think reassuringly and, and pleasingly, um, the point I made earlier about common sense, we've to, to an extent without um, without being shot down um, by you, both you and your listeners. Um, but we've seen that common sense evolve on the client side. Uh, and there's a there's an interesting dynamic that you've seen and we see in this work winning um, this work winning world that we operate in. Yeah, how often do we sit down when a client's document lands or maybe even six or 12 months previous when we're um, we're monitoring and pursuing capture around a forthcoming opportunity in the in the pipeline? But do we slate and slag off the client side? And that was quite easy to do for a lot of people very early on. But, yeah. but those of us that have seen that journey over time still take pride at times in critiquing the the way that the client has constructed their procurement, the way that they've specified the service, the way that they built their questions. At the end of the day, they're going to be evaluating you against a framework of questions that have been through a process of governance and been signed off. Uh, and at, at best, it's been constructed into a, a tool database or, you know, um, something like a ward, uh, for example, and that they're, they're much more structured and systematic in the way that they plan and build their procurement, and more importantly, manage that process and then subsequently assess um, and move to um, to pitching people as as preferred bidder. And I think that's how, for me, it's evolved over that period of time. Um, the frustration still comes from yeah, our ability to still believe that we know better. And when I say we, I'm talking about the, you know, the, the procurement community that are bidding into these large entities that uh, you know, are, are, are building these large, uh, sorry, are controlling these large procurements that, we, um, that, that we're involved in and benefit from. And yeah, I think the more we start to believe the client uh, and position them in a much more positive light, the better mindset that you have. And you can talk about collaboration and behavior um, but it's interesting when you support that space um, and you get everyone in a room or used to, um, but we've had folk in the, in the virtual space these days to yeah, help um, prepare for engagement with the client from a, a collaborative uh, perspective. Uh, and you kind of go from that backroom team that have challenged the client all the way through the process to suddenly the most collaborative. And for us, again, being involved as early as possible, I'd much rather pick people up like yourself, Jeremy, if you if you display non-collaborative behaviour, we'll have a chat about it as part of the day job and not have to coach and prepare folk for it. 
So I, I think we've seen that that, that yeah that common sense uh, approach evolve on the client side, and I I don't think we give the client side enough credit for it. it it's a it's a arduous arduous enough job as it is. Yeah, I mean I. I think you're working in the markets that are probably most evolved um, and it's going to be quite interesting in the future in the next couple of years with the way government are throwing money around you know, it's interesting you mentioned healthcare but you know the the national hospital uh, program or uh, hospital improvement program whatever they call it this week you know Boris Boris is flinging of money into the health sector to build a shitload of hospitals fairly quickly um, is suddenly going to put us in last week's episode we were talking to a guy called Steve Jackson from Keir Group who works in their infrastructure business um, uh, in, in their smaller bits uh, type work uh, who happened to have an experience in a previous life where he'd worked at, uh, uh, in shipbuilding and, uh, and those kind of industries of alliances and uh, I think the, the rise of the construction playbook now the CCS framework for construction um, and the way that government need to spend our way out of the colossal recession, if not depression, that we face. Um, I, I think suddenly your skills are going to be very much in demand because it appears government are looking at how they've been procuring those big chunky projects like your rail stuff um, in a much more grown up way. I mean, I, I attended a webinar, I've gone and forgotten uh, I think it was an ICE webinar on the construction playbook and on collaboration and alliances. Um, and there was a guy there giving examples about how you can do that in rail for, for ages um, and how it's probably going to be the way that we go. So, and what you tend to find is a bit like in the social value space with the recent um, notice in that in that space for central government, it will trickle down into local government and other public sector bodies. And eventually it trickles into the private sector too, or the private sector mirror some of this as they're driven around corporate social responsibility, etc. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're probably the looking glass into a bit of the future, really, for people who listen to the podcast that are in those markets that are a degree of separation away or or further. Um, so it's quite interesting the sorts of work that you guys have to do uh, in that more collaborative bidding and in, and in JV bidding as well. So I mean what what, what do you think the future holds uh, in terms of work winning you know sort of in, I guess there's the impact of Brexit and now the pandemic but um, you know where, where, where do you see things going and particularly in that bigger moving stuff? Yeah <coughs> I think um you asked me that question pretty much to the day um, 12 months ago um, I'd have probably been a little bit more of the same for a little bit longer despite the, the, the kind of Brexit um, cloud that, that, that sits, a, you know, sits a, a above us and or you know, what change may come to, um, you know, to either help accelerate procurement um, or, or not um, and I'm when I say very little 12 months ago, yeah, the, the, the idea of not having a strategic lead working alongside a bid director and the steering group for a, a major strategic procurement that our clients are involved in, having a bid manager on the ground and a writing team for those larger opportunities, um, the thought of having those people at home for five days a week um, for yeah, at minimum seven and a half hours a day 
um, and the client being willing to, to to sustain that. I never thought it would it, it would kind of happen. Um, and, and I think just in terms of the way that we work, there's there's been a a change in productivity. And I think from a mental health and well-being perspective, we do have to um, check ourselves and and balance the way that we use the the virtual media. Um, and there's nothing that substitutes for some of that one-on-one -on -one contact, particularly in a, a kind of joint venture environment where you've got colleagues that perhaps haven't come together physically to um, to, to bond and build and and develop the uh, and demonstrate the collaborative skills necessary. But I, you know, I, I think our our world going forward is is going to be one where there's a you know, a slightly different mix, and many of us have said that, um, but both publicly in you know, in this type of domain and and others. Um, I think there needs to be, and I mentioned earlier the um, Highways England start process, the capability assessment toolkit, as was before, and some of the tools that we've seen evolve within the regional procurement bodies or, uh, or highways type of alliances in um, in the local government arena. There's been noise and some action historically to try and improve the process of pre-qualification. To enable a kind of you know, doing enough to, to to get into the competition, and, and then better focus the uh, the challenge through whatever means, whether it's dialoguing, it's innovative contractor engagement, or it's full on ITT as we know it. Um, really focusing on on testing, challenging the the, the technical solution. I, I think there's going to be more, um, but I'm kind of hoping that the process can be over time foreshortened made simpler and, and most importantly reduce the bid costs because yeah the one thing that um yeah that no one's talking uh, sorry no one's talking we're not at this stage um looking down the barrel of um a comprehensive spending review but there will be many over the months and years to come as a result of where we are at the moment there, there will be a need to to, to look to um, pull back and be yet more efficient and I think some of our experiences over the last 18 months, which is why I started where I did, have kind of um, opened our eyes to there being a potentially different way. And I hope then that yeah, we can simplify, but with common sense process, reduce the bid costs, particularly for the largest opportunities. And it's not just about funding and supporting them, as some may want, it's actually reducing it and enabling people to be engaged and get infrastructure moving and if we do that you know we we know that we, we get the economy moving with it um if we if we kind of continue to to strangle um with what are now in some clients you know, diminished resources as a result of the experience of the last 12 months then it, it will delay some of those things actually coming to ground mm. Sorry, coming in the ground. <laughs> um, and have you been working on JV bids during this period? You, you sort of touched on it, but is that what's presented there in terms of challenges and, and what, how do you think that will unfold moving forwards now, particularly? <clears throat> I, I did a piece of work. It, it must be it must be 10, 12 years ago for um, a major client in the in the maintenance space, and um, we at the, the the same time as a as a business, yeah, you know, we're bidding for and 
um, developing a, a few strategic relationships with other parties to bid for larger, larger lumps of work. Uh, and the lead-in for, for me in my in my thinking and our team um, it was quite a, was quite a long one. And that period of identifying the partner uh, or identifying a shortlist, selecting the partners, uh, understanding the synergy between the two, building an offer, uh, and creating a um, you know, creating something to take to the market seemed to me to, to to be something that needed to be structured and systematic. Many years later. Um, we get to a, a, a kind of um, BS 11,000 or ISO 44,001 as we are, are, are now um, framework that actually sets all that out for us. Um, and I was surprised when I did this piece of work for the, the, that, that uh, O&M business, um, how late they ended up selecting and teaming with certain partners. It felt it felt to me a bit like the uh, the fat kid in the um, stood against the wall when there was um, picking the uh, the strikers for the football team. I went the rugby route in the end because um, uh, <laughs> I got tired of always being the last one to, to to be selected. But it felt a bit like that. It didn't feel as structured and systematic, and it 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 didn't necessarily lend itself to the sort of things that in the work winning at space. Um, we would want to explore around why you came together. What, what does the JV offer? And um, over time, has that improved a little? Um, but I still see a lot of late teaming. And even through this, the period of the, the, the last 12 months, um, equally some very late teaming where a, a couple of client organisations have never worked together before. So that, that there may have been um, one or two individuals from those organisations that have got together at an ICE dinner or at the CIHT event or you know, at a network rail or a PW um, at permanent way institution um, conference. So you know, folk may have bumped into each other, but they've never kind of worked together. And bringing those teams together, developing a solution, properly challenging that solution, um, and then getting it into print um, you know, through the, the, the technological technology means that we have has been interesting. Um, and I think that's the we've had an incredible uh, yeah, an incredible year. I never thought 12 months ago that I'd be talking to you now, having continued to bid, continued to, 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 to win and continue uh, to, to learn lessons from those few opportunities where clients were less successful. But I never thought I would see the volume of work that, that, that's, that, that's gone through. Um, and it's been a really successful year. The bit that I still pine for is around joint ventures and the need to get people in a room together um, in a war room, as we call it in, in, in the work winning world. Um, and not just have yeah, maps of the, uh, of the location that we're bidding into, um, pictures of what it might ultimately look like. But getting people to bang heads together and really start to talk about building a, a solution and i think that element whether in jv actually or within organizations themselves it, it's the it's the bit in this virtual space that we haven't quite got right yet and you and i talked earlier about using miro um and other tools and you know, breaking people out into individual um teams meetings um you know, we've done a number of hackathons with a couple of clients who've been really quite good um, but I would have loved to have done those in person and, and been able to see and hear and experience the stories uh, as opposed to just see them, if you know, if you know what I mean.
hear them, sorry. Yeah, quite. Um, and what do you think the future holds for JV bidding? I mean, are, there's going to be more and more opportunities that are probably too big. Well, there's too many opportunities for the companies that would normally do the big stuff. I mean, you, you take the hospital program we mentioned earlier on. Um, there's probably too many projects for the, the quintessential big hospital builders to have teams to do. So others are going to have to come into the space. But I, I think you might end up with some of the the tier ones that don't normally build up to you know, 500 million pound projects having to come together in JV or the alliance model will, will draw them together through the CCS framework anyway. So suddenly you're going to have a bunch of builders in the building space as opposed to infrastructure space who have never worked in JV or any sort of alliance before, probably not since sort of building schools for the future days. Um, you know, we're going to have to be a bit more grown up and and figure this stuff out. I think it's going to be quite interesting across various markets. How how you know it's probably a great opportunity for the for those see smaller than the really big boy um, organisations to step up and form teams and be a bit clever about going after some opportunities. I think. Yeah, I, th I think there's most definitely at the at the large end of the scale, but equally bringing together consortia of um, of smaller businesses and enterprises um, to you know to get it to, to continue to, to to satisfy their own agenda um, around giving something back through you know through social value and CSR as you as you mentioned earlier. Um, I, I think. Yeah, whether it's in the in, in the built environment, inevitably, I, I, yeah, I see that as a need, particularly with the volume of spend that's predicted. If you look at the you know, the future pipeline, um, and we you, you look into large, controversial but large projects in the UK like the A three hundred three, yeah, with the effectively the the UK contracting fraternity, um, yeah, not participating in that contribute con competition and joint ventures in the main uh, by one or few UK parties um, but joint ventures in the main being formed of yeah uh, who would have historically been overseas um, contractors who are a little uh, more willing to to stand the risk of certainly the yeah the, the riskier parts of projects like that such as the the, the tunneling um, I think the other thing in JV bidding um, which um, is interesting. It, the whole issue around the parent company guarantee scenario and the, the, the dynamics and tension that that creates, despite the known quantity, that, sorry, the known entity that is the client side position on, on, on areas like that. Um, I see quite a lot of tension amongst the joint ventures we, we, we work with. Um, and I wonder if that's going to change, if the client side's uh, position on that is going to change or can change. Um, yeah, the, the one thing that there, there will be with the volume of work is an increased level of risk too, I suspect. Yeah, well, I, I hope the clients are smart enough to understand the market they're facing into and, and how it's going to be different. Because it's, you know, I've seen across the different government programmes, whether it's the schools programme, hospitals, uh, other uh, built assets, that, you know, the, the common theme at the moment, you know, MMC, uh, modern methods of construction, so prefabrication, design for manufacturing assembly. But in, in reality, the supply chain in the UK currently only has a combined turnover of a billion quid a year. Yeah. And we're talking about building 
significantly more than that. So, you know, the government's going to need to think about industrialising supply chains and possibly intervening, not dissimilar to how it did with vaccines, actually, um, you know, making making shit happen. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see how they do that in the, the built asset space, how, how they do that in infrastructure too, because um, it's it's going to be a challenge. To get, it's the right thing to do, but it's going to be a challenge to get there. So it's, it's going to be quite interesting. So, it, um, sorry, um, carry on. No, go on. So I'm going on. I was going to say an, an interesting take on the collaboration front. Um, yeah, if we if we look back to you know, nowhere near complete, but if we look back to the likes of Hinckley, um, when, when that was on the horizon and, and major projects and programs were uh, were coming to market, um, we were all talking and writing um, and, and helping our clients write about how they were going to deal with the um, with the potential labour challenge, skill shortage challenge, and where the draw would come, particularly when yeah the the volume of concrete that was required was going into the, into the likes of Hinkley, how was that going to affect projects that at the time were on the horizon, um, such as the M4 corridor around Newport Cant um, since, um, but yeah it, it equally uh, running that uh, alongside and it continuing to run as HS2 is ramping up. And what that's going to mean uh, in terms of the draw on labour and the supply chain um, and materials um, and as part of the materials piece, the aggregates and so on. And we're seeing the client side individually push an awful lot um, around collaboration. You mentioned the need for some of the larger build, uh, building projects, similar to what we're seeing in infrastructure of JVs having to be formed to, to sustain the, the risk, let alone have the capability to deliver some of these projects uh, and I kind of wonder there's a there's something in in that collaboration space where the client entities need to be brought together in a slightly more joined up way because uh, where's Heathrow going to go we don't, we don't know where's aviation going to go we don't know but yeah at one point we were looking at the third runway um, we were looking at the western rail link through Heathrow we had the lower Thames crossing um, okay, a little bit further to, to, to the east, but these were all projects yet yeah, planned to coincide um, with what's continuing with HS2. At the same time, there's a River Thames scheme uh, being considered, um, which is an environment agency scheme, which is again within a you could throw yeah you, know, you could throw a blanket over all of these, and right. I, I don't know how government. Uh, I'd like to know, uh, but I don't know how government and I don't know how the client side is really trying to coordinate and collaborate itself to better join up those things so that they don't have to keep asking the contracting fraternity, how will you deal with that challenge? <laughs> I, I think the idea is that the IPA, the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, as a subset of the Cabinet Office, uh, are, are trying to get into that space. Uh, and influence that stuff and it'll be interesting to see how that pans out now. Um, I'm aware of some consultancies getting some rather large technical advisor roles on yeah. Bit, yeah. bits of programs uh, to try and figure out how to drive more MMC and more efficiency fundamentally because government hasn't got enough money to deliver all the stuff that they've promised um, so that they need to get you know more for less and all that kind of thing. And just squeezing contractors isn't going to be the way to do it. It's it's a much bigger problem than that that they need to solve. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. We've we've gone down the rabbit hole of, of our respective sort of building and 
infrastructure stuff when we've got listings in other sectors but i hope it's interesting in terms of like i say you're on the leading edge of through the looking glass into what they'll probably find in terms of procurement methodology uh, in some of their markets too so it's interesting so let's let's draw to a close the, the that, that bit of chat and get into the more gimmicky um podcasty stuff i guess so let's let's talk about your bidding heaven and hell uh, so he- heaven first what's been your bidding heaven so I'm sorry this sounds so naff um, and predictable, but bid in heaven is early engagement. Um, And that's having an opportunity to to support capture. Uh, And and that's got that's got little to do at that early stage with actually constructing a bid proper supporting the development of the technical solution. It's helping clients understand the the, the client, understand their, their kind of key drivers. Um, and I'm, I'm doing a piece at the moment around wind themes. You mentioned them earlier when we were talking about Miro, <laughs> but um, it's um, it, it's an area that really frustrates me at times because we want to move too quick to, to, to wind themes. Um, we spend a lot of time translating what we call hot buttons from the client side into wind themes. And I think the earlier we can work alongside people and the, when we do that um, to help properly understand what it is the client's actually looking for, it makes that translation piece that happens an awful lot yeah an awful lot more pleasurable and and that's that's kind of that's bidding heaven uh, bidding hell um by contrast is the opposite um uh, but more importantly yeah my bidding hell is when the, the bid director says um have you got the pizza menu and that that kind of that whole I don't know whether it's that it's macho, um, but it kind of felt it for, for a number of years. But that macho thing about you know, look forward to we'll be eating in the office late at night and every people seemingly taking pleasure in it. But uh, yeah, I kind of um, sorry to give a rugby analogy, but for me, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like rugby where 80, the game lasts 80 minutes. Um, at the 85th minute where the yeah the clock's already gone red uh, and the referee's looking to looking to blow for something but the team that haven't trained as well and um, the team that aren't as therefore fit and the team that are camped in their own 22 so that's on their own goal line uh, for those of us that aren't necessarily uh, familiar with uh, with, with rugby um, with a much fitter opposition against them they're likely to make mistakes and, and that kind of to me um, resonates with that um, the bid director calling for the pizza menu. If you've got people and taking pride in working into the early hours, doing the proofing, the detail bit that, that, that we really need to, yeah, you know, we really need to, to to get right to have our own confidence um, in uh, the, the strength of what we've we've put together. Yeah, that's when you make mistakes. And in rugby, you give away a penalty try, and in the bidding world, we kind of give it away to our competition because those that are sat at home with their families. Um, eating their dinner uh, with their kids uh, have probably started things a little bit earlier, have perhaps not gone through the same challenges in governance, have maybe not had, um, yeah, what's the, uh, how's the best way to, to, to put this? You, you, we create in the, the, the bidding world a biggest mix of misfits, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, we've got exec, we, we've got our marketing colleagues, we've got business development, then we've got work winning specialists, you know, holding on to process and you try and bring all of those people together and through a review process, they'll tell you everything that needs to go into the submission. 
are what's perhaps most important to either the question or the client's drivers. Um, so my bidding hell is the is the pizza menu. Um, don't give the penalty try away at the 11th hour. Just be that little bit more controlled um, and put together yeah, a good solid submission. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, on the on the heaven piece, yeah, the, the heaven for me in that scenario, that early engagement bit is capture that people who listen to this hear me bang on about all the time. But, you know, really, I, I couldn't agree more. It's music to my ears that working on the solution with the client way before the tender comes out and coming up with innovations and just you know, sort of undeniable value that just positions you to either negotiate it or worst case, you know, you're always going to win that tender. That's that's where it's really at. And I absolutely agree on the hell. Uh, you're just asking for trouble. You're just building risk. And at, at the end of the day, a bid is a project the same as any other type of project with a defined end date and, and uh, you know, set of outputs. And so you've just not managed a project very well if you're working late nights and you're you're, you're causing harm to your staff. Because I, I've talked about it here and, and funny enough, it's come up in a couple of meetings with some quite senior dudes in a couple of clients recently that the more people work on bids where there's those late nights and it's difficult and horrible, uh, the more they get repelled from working on bids. So what you end up with is your best people run the other way and you get left with adverse selection. You get left with the people who are available um, to work on your bids and it becomes a, a downward spiral. So, uh, you know, where I'm, I've got a client where I'm going to you know, train a thousand people in bidding and implement an enterprise toolkit, so a whole big transformation piece. And, um, you know, one of the key things for them, yes, it's about increasing win rate and reducing cost of sale. But the big thing is they've got shitloads of fee earners. Those thousand people are all fee earning consultants uh, who are, you know, burning themselves out working on bids in the evenings and weekends because they haven't got a well-managed you know, bid process. There's no DNA in their business in how to approach this stuff. Um, and so they're, you know, they're losing opportunities all over the show as well as burning their, their staff out. So yeah, you're asking for trouble. We're bang on there. Okay. Um, and then last thing, so a favourite quote or book or inspirational person. Okay, so um, yeah. slightly tongue in cheek, um, it's not my favourite book, but my most memorable book. Um, bearing in mind what we've just been we've been talking about, and yeah, I, I, I'm hoping I'm amongst friends here, <laughs> but. Um, my most memorable book is a book I, hold, uh, I had called uh, Getting Things Done. It was by a guy called David Allen, uh, and it was around um, stress-free productivity. Uh, and the, 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 the recollection of that book kind of sticks with me uh, as I reflect on the last 12 months. But um, when, when I moved house, having had that book for, for the best part of eight, ten years, um, the, the, yeah, the uh, the slight tongue-in-cheek point. It was still in its cellophane wrapper, so <laughs> it was uh, the the art of getting things done. And um, I'd never opened it, um, but um, so uh, yeah, that, that's the kind of most memorable book, I, I, I suppose. Um, most inspirational person um, or or similar. Um, and it's not any. It would be unfair to name any one individual, but um, there was a. A series we used to spend an awful lot of time in hotels um, and there was a series on BBC four and coming in and out of consciousness um, with the telly still on in the hotel room I heard the seven bridge and I hail from Somerset so yeah I, I grew up 
um, with the uh, the M5 being uh, constructed and, and, and yeah, the, the Seven Bridge, although slightly before uh, uh, my time, and um, heard the Seven Bridge and, and perked up. And there was this series, it, it was four or five years ago now, um, at the 50th anniversary of the first Seven Crossing. And the whole programme was focused on people that had been involved in the design, uh, management and delivery of the first Seven Crossing. And seeing those people, Jeremy, that had been involved in that project, sat in their dining room, you know, a number of years retired, with some of the, the early design drawings as the, yeah, as the picture behind the dining table, uh, and to hear the anecdotes of their stories, uh, you know, one of which was uh, a guy that was a tugman um, in a boat sitting beneath the uh, sitting beneath the bridge, and one of the safety measures was him. So when you fell off, not if you fell off, but when you fell off, the tugman would would, would pull you in when they were when they were running the cable. And I kind of reflected on some of the major projects that I've been involved in, ha having caught this five years or so a, a, a ago and challenge myself how many of the people that i work with are truly that passionate about some of those big projects and yeah for some i'd have to question that and, and these guys it really stuck with me and yeah I'm, I'm not saying that i didn't have that um interest or push and promote pride in the work that we do but you know if, it, if i drive now from cornwall having been on holiday from area one um in, in highways england um, through to, to Birmingham and Grand Central Station, uh, back into London and the Olympic Delivery uh, Authority's Olympic Park, uh, and I, you know, the um, the NHS Trust that we've worked for up in um, Harrogate and the uh, and the northeast, and you go through those areas and you you kind of take a bit of pride that I've been part of that, and it, yeah, it, from an inspirational um, team, I, I would advocate anyone to watch that second, uh, sorry, first seven crossing. Uh, program. It's probably still available on iPlayer somewhere, um, but I think we all could take a little bit more pride. And you know, all, I, I've majored on the, the the big stuff we do and, and talked a lot about infrastructure. But um, I, I suppose you know, from helping on a bit of my time, a, a, a local school bid to DFE for a free uh, for it as part of the free school process um, was is equally rewarding in, in driving through that. You know that 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 country town um a number of years later to to, to see the schools still standing kind of thing so yeah that taking taking pride in in what we do and how we contribute to it i think is really important and the the seven crossing guys did it for me oh very good okay well what a great great note to leave it on i could agree with that fantastic well thank you very much for your time chris that's been really really insightful really useful stuff and uh, yeah, I look, look forward to crossing paths with you many times more. It's been it's been good to spend some time with you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Well, thanks for the opportunity to, to chat about our stuff. Thank you. Good fun, isn't it? Thank you. So what a great episode. What an interesting dude. Um, really interesting, that big stuff and alliances and how that will inform, I think, uh, how the rest of us bid uh, in public sector regulated industry for sure. Uh, and and really interesting uh, bit towards the end there in uh, in terms of favourite book uh, and uh, inspiration. So thank you, thank you very much, Chris. 
Um, so in terms of episodes we've got coming up, uh, we've got an episode already in the can actually uh, with my friend James at Polar Insight, uh, who do some quite interesting things in um, surveying insight with um, communities uh, to, to support outsourcing organisations and the like. Um, so quite an interesting conversation about that space coming up. Um, and then we've got an international episode. Uh, I'm talking to uh, Jennifer Nambar out in the States about capture. Um, and then we've got another episode coming around. We've got them coming thick and fast, actually, um, uh, with a lady called Jill Askew, who used to be one of the, the board directors at YPO, the public procurement body, and now is doing some interesting stuff in the SME space. Um, so that's episodes all, all coming quite quite thick and fast. So actually the episode with James uh, will be released on uh, Saturday the 13th coming up. Um, the episode uh, you're watching was recorded on the 9th and uh, has, has been released on the 10th. Um, so we're, we're probably going to release a couple of weeks uh, for the next couple of weeks to get uh, back up to speed. In terms of our Patreon community, our, our the Red Review community, uh, we've got lots going on. So uh, tomorrow, actually, to Thursday, the 11th of March at lunchtime, uh, I'm doing a free session on an introduction to capture uh, that any members are, are welcome to attend. Um, so the, the link for that is uh, in the community. You just have to uh, join to get access uh, next week. Um, the following Thursday, we've got a drop in surgery session that any members are uh, welcome to attend and of course we've still got that breakfast event uh the, the big sorry my dog just did the tv uh remote which started an episode of uh celebrity bake-off you didn't need to hear that um so and we've still got our breakfast event on uh the 14th of april uh that's coming around fast with with more speakers uh, going to be announced uh, in due course so hopefully uh, you can join us for that uh, see you soon thanks very much